Atomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello! The premise of our show is very simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find where their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on a particular area of expertise, golden age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. This week, we our theme is adultery, forbidden love. Yeah, forbidden love. Yeah. It's also, so it's also think- episode 10. I just want to throw oh. that out there. It's episode. It's on our tenth episode. It's a landmark. Quite a landmark. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, cool. So um, we shall kick off with uh, 1932 Red Dust, um, which is the first pre-code film that we'll have on, on our podcast. So I think it's 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 a good way to celebrate our tenth episode. Um, because pre-code is kind of my area of expertise. Uh, my I've, I've just finished my master thesis on on pre-code and feminism. So yeah, 1932, directed by Victor Fleming. We are well within um, your I'll, wheelhouse, aren't we? Yes. Yes. Um, I'll give a quick synopsis and then I'll ask Nick, as usual, what he thought of it. So the owner of a rubber plantation becomes involved with a new wife of one of his employees. Owner played by um, Clark Gable, Dennis, and uh, the new wife played by um, Mary Astor. What did you think of it, Nick? Um, so I, I mentioned this last week. This is my first Clark Gable and Jean Harlow film. Um, and it's my second Mary Astor film after Maltese Falcon. So I'm going to start with the negative. Um, this film is super racist. Um, the <laughs> yes. the Asian manservant who is named Hoy um, has buck teeth. He has this really racist laugh and way of speaking was just it was cringe with a capital C. Um, and there was all these slaves and then the plantation and the treatment of them was um, ridiculously. It was really quite I, bad. Are they slaves? I don't or? think I don't think they're slaves, but they're like they laborers. Laborers. They're called coolies, and everyone, when they talk about them, because they, they basically work the rubber plantation, yeah. and they sort of cut the wood and to let the rubber thing um, ooze up. Um, so every time they talk about it, they, they very, they're very, 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 like, um, demeaning to, towards them. Yeah. So, um, the, the film takes place in under China, and yeah, all of, all the Asian people we see are are very much stereotyped, um, and yeah, everyone is like the white supremacist idea is very much alive in this film. Yeah, I mean, it, embodied by Clark Gable. It, yes, I'll, I'll get onto that in a minute, but um, yeah, I mean, set in Indochina, filmed in California, 
Um, <laughs> I, I knew Holly would respond. They wouldn't have gone to Indochina. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, we had a depression going on back then, anyway. Oh, oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Um, I mean, I, I knew Hollywood was racist, but this was really bad. Um, and I just want to say, like, I, you know, we will be getting onto racism, race, and Orientalism um, in a few weeks' time. So I kind of just want to table this conversation for then. I don't want to. I don't want to delve on that too much because uh, I know we've got a lot to cover today. Um, yeah. So yes. Second, ne- slightly negative thing. Uh, Clark Gable was a dick, as Dennis. <laughs> um, I don't know whether that was the point of our hero, um, but I, I. Well, he's a bit of an anti-hero, isn't he? No, no. I, I'm going to rephrase this. Like Humphrey Bogart last week, uh, Dicks in In a Lonely Place was an anti-hero. This guy is something else. Like I straight out disliked this character. And I didn't like Clark Gable's performance. And I found him super unlikable. And I'm really disappointed because this is not a good start for me being introduced to him. Um, I feel like I maybe should have gone with a different Clark Gable film um, to actually get me to like him. Because, I mean, at least oh. at least, at least with like other actors who play dick roles. Um, I'm trying to think of one. Like uh, Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. Like he plays a completely despicable character, but because I've seen Twelve Angry Men, I know for a fact that Henry Fonda is the the pinnacle of humanity in that film. And then in Once a Time in the West, he is you know an absolutely despicable human being. It, it just it I I don't know I maybe but he does he does such a good job of you can't really compare Clark Gable to Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda is a god. Yeah, Henry Henry Fonda, Fonda is... can do no wrong. But you... Even if even if. Even as Frank, who kills a boy in the in the first second of the film. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, you can't, you know. You know what I mean? Though. He gets to have sex with Claudia Cardinale later on in the film, so you know, everything, anything goes. Yeah, I mean, you, it's a great film. You know what I mean, though, with like starting with such a famous actor in a role where he is playing an unlikable character. You should see him in Night Nurse. Okay. Um, he plays a um. Yeah, he plays a chauffeur in Night Nurse who wants to get his hand on on the inheritance money of the family by killing the two kids. <laughs> wow. Nineteen thirty-one, I think. Um, it's actually quite a good pre-code film, I think. Uh, but you would not like Clark Gable in that one either. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite likable. I with with modern eyes, I don't think Clark Gable is. A, good actor he does what he does and he does it very well which is being macho man but that's it that is it yeah okay i don't uh, yeah i mean i'm I'm sure at some point we're gonna have another clark gable film so like hopefully you will pick you will pick arrange that you will pick one of course i mean i haven't seen gone with the wind so I mean, <gasps> well, there, there you go. I will have to. I will, haven't seen. I will have to schedule actually... the eight hours it's going to take to watch Gone with the Wind. But like, I um. No, well, let's just say that Gone with the Wind is a film that needs to be seen for anyone who thinks themselves a film buff, because there's so much stuff to to talk about about that film. 
and there are so many good things in that film um and since we were on the race subject i'll just say that one of the things that might make you change your mind about clark gable is that in the film uh at one point he turns to hattie mcdaniel's character mammy and she plays she she plays a slave woman yeah uh, and he tells her that you're one of the few pers- people um, whose respect I want to I want to earn. Um, he, he well, his character Brett Butler says that to her, and that is incredible to to hear that from someone in in the late um, 18, 1900s, 19th century. And he, even when it was filmed, uh, you know, like even when oh, um, I mean, Clark Gable. I think he was a good guy because when when the film premiered, when Gone with the Wind premiered, uh, I think it was premiered in Atlanta. Um, Hattie McDaniel was, of course, not invited um, because it was the South and she was she would have not she was not invited at the premiere and uh, he refused to go and she convinced him to go. But he initially just dug his heels in and he did not want to go. And I think I read somewhere that she was also not uh, not invited at the Oscars when she actually won. And again, Clark Gable um lobbied for her to be invited but i think she was she was sat at a different table towards the end of the room or something like that okay i mean i yeah i mean i'm not i'm not saying like you know that the actor fits the but we the, need the to character. put we need we need yeah we need to put the gone with the win on the list yeah i mean I i'll try and find a, a three like a like a six hour epic that you haven't seen and, and we'll throw that in there as well um anyway I'll move move on um, onto the positives because I do have some positives about Red Dust. Let's hear it. Um, Mary Astor as Barbara Willis was she was completely different to her character in Maltese Falcon, and and to be honest, I I don't know if I I should I shouldn't really be surprised to see that she has range, um, but um, it was she was really good. I mean, her character she was you know she really pulled off that kind of delicate and conflicted um mannerisms and her character and i mean i i i did even though i was slightly confused because it came out of nowhere i did i was pretty happy that she shot dennis um because <laughs> he kind of deserved it <laughs> he did um, he did and then i suppose the best thing is is gene harlow she but she shot fantastic. him for the wrong thing sorry she shot him for the wrong thing. She did shoot him for the was... wrong thing, and she also shot, you know, nowhere near, you know, somewhere it was going to do some damage. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, the main thing for me was Jean Harlow. She was great. Um, I need more Jean Harlow every day of all my life. Yeah, um, yeah, that Van- can be arranged. Fantine was so such a great character. And I wanted her to shoot Dennis as well, and then the, running the plantation herself. Um, you know, she <laughs> she deserved more. She deserved more. Yeah, she did deserve more than him to be stuck with she him did. after everything that he did to her. Um, I loved her sassiness when she showed up on screen after they stuck that drunk guy into a bedroom. I immediately I loved her. Immediately, I was like, I love this woman um so yeah and it's not even like i wasn't even saying that because she is downright gorgeous i'm i'm just saying that because she was great i loved her sassiness i loved her energy and she was the total heart of the film 
and sh the sexiness that is in the film and the sexiness that I've been read that is in the film is all her in my opinion um and so yeah um and I think I know you have a story about that um so yeah I mean the forbidden love because that's kind of the theme of today is it is forbidden but I mean I wasn't kind of sold on it I was like why is she I mean really him like come yeah. on like why not your husband's i mean a... have you seen him yeah but your husband's a nice guy like he's a much nicer guy women don't just because... like nice guys i mean no. that's <laughs> yeah all right yeah i mean there is a green day song called nice guys finish last so um yeah i maybe yeah i mean this this maybe is a men's rights activist film waiting to happen but <laughs> like yeah no i mean i i i uh I wasn't I wasn't sold on this whole forbidden love thing and I I I I do feel really bad that I wasn't caught up in the love story um because that's whole kind of today and compared to the other film where we were talking about like this was just like uh, I just want more Gene Harlow I I would more than happily be seeing Gene Harlow <laughs> and Mary Astor just kind of shoot men and and uh and run plantations <laughs> in a better way than than the than the men that would be such an amazing film to yeah watch, i just yeah it? and she'd just be sparking off you know stuff and drinking and and you know in the hot and complaining about the weather you know whenever she complained about the weather i was like this is fantastic um so yeah i i i yeah i'm a little bit i'm a little bit disappointed um but at the same time, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed because this is my first Clark Gable film and I kind of wish that it wasn't. Whereas, on the other hand, this is my first Gene Harlow film and I'm so happy it was. So, yeah, that's kind of me with Red Dust, to be honest. But you okay. you definitely have a story about Gene Harlow, don't you? I have a few stories. Uh, but I just wanted to sort of... Um, finish off on, on the idea of the forbidden love story... I think that Red Dust is not just is not a love story per se, not in the way that In the Mood for Love is, which we'll discuss in a minute. Um, it's is more of a lust story, and I think Barbara um, Barbara Willis, um, played by Mary Astor, she's she's a newlywed. So think of it this way: she's a newlywed, and she loves her husband obviously but she kind of i think there's a thrill that's missing in there and you have to look at the symbolism they go to the they go into the jungle they go into the wilderness and that's what Clark gable's character dennis represents and it it's it's a thrill for her to to basically let her hair down and just go ape go wild for this brute of a man um who's the total opposite of everything she's she's grown to know so because she's she's from the upper classes right so she's a lady the way like the duchess the way um uh, harlow men, uh, talks about her she doesn't belong so in just, the jungle does she? she 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 does not but it's it's that thrill of the, of the adventure of of the of the illicit love affair which is not a love affair it's just passion um and as i think i think it, it was well done the way they presented Clark Gable as this brute, but like the embodiment of the macho man. There's, I think, there's a couple of scenes where he's almost he's topless as well. So you kind of see a bit of objectification of the male character, which I I 
totally agreeing with. Yeah, yeah, okay, um, okay, all right. <laughs> not just because, you know, he's easy on the eye because he's not that good looking. But it's just like, you know, we want to see some more skin from the men, not just the, the women. Um, and I like that dynamic between him, Harlow, and and Mary Astor because, you know, you have the... He looks at Harlow, he looks at um, Astor, so he objectifies Astor and then Harlow objectifies him, more or less, because she's kind of nuts about him. So on to the sort of like production details. So the film is based on a 1928 play of the same name by Wilson Collison. Collison. Um, in 1953, there was another film based on that same play called Mogambo, uh, and where the setting changed from Indochina to Africa. Clark Gable reprised his Red Dust role in Mogambo, uh, this time with Ava Gardner and, and Grace Kelly playing the June Carlo and Mary Astor role, respectively. Is that one? Um, is that I, one as racist? I haven't seen that one, oh, okay. um, but it probably is. Seen as a set in Africa, I don't so. Sing, yeah, um, I just wanted to sort of note on the fact that Clark Gable in 1953 is much more older than when he was in 1932, obviously. But the ladies kind of stay the same age. So, yeah, make of that what you will. Uh. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh. Um... <laughs> That's one of the reasons I don't think I want to see that film. You know, the men, the main, the men are allowed to age, but the girls can't. They have to stay the same age. Yeah, I'm totally. Get... I totally agree with that. No, I don't. I just want. No, I don't. Just I'm playing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this film is directed by Victor Fleming. Um, speaking of macho men, he's a man's man director as opposed to a woman's director, i.e., homosexual George Cukor whom Fleming replaced on the set of Gone with the Wind when David O. Selznick fired Cukor because he was a he was a poof. Um, so, yeah, Gone with the Wind won Fleming an Oscar for Best Director, and I believe he should have shared that with George Cukor because both Vivian Lee and Olivier de Havilland were privately coached by George Cukor during the production of the film. So take that, Victor Fleming. Fleming did um, uh, the film with Wizard the. Of Oz. That's the one. I was going to say something along the lines of the film with the the singing and the yellow brick road, but yeah, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the film with the singing and the yellow brick road. Yeah, yeah, you know the the singing <laughs> and dancing. That, that one, one, yeah, that, one. that. with I, that woman. What's her name? Oh, uh, the yeah, right? and, and the lion and we the Tin to, Man and the and the. Yeah. We need to do a Judy Garland special episode because I think she deserves it. Okay. <laughs> uh right so during this i think this is a story that you really really enjoyed reading i bet i bet during filming of the famous rain barrel sequence gene harlow reportedly stood up topless and called out something along the lines of here's one for the boys in the lab i love um, i i like this woman like i've only seen one <laughs> film of her and i want more um i think i think she was not very shy um she was yeah she she was quite a character and i don't find her particularly attractive i've never been able to get a, over the 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 chin but i think she's so charming and just so pleasant and and just wisecracking and just adorable in general without have i mean not not dwelling on on the physical aspect i i just think she's a just incredible character
um, a, a, a bit of a sad turn uh, in terms of the production details. Uh, Jean Harlow's husband of two months, Paul Byrne, committed suicide uh, shortly after the production started. Um, they found him shot. So the circumstances of the death were a bit ambiguous, so they thought he might have been killed, but um, we don't really know. I don't think that it's been... This is the was... second time we've kind of been talking about Hollywood around this era where there's been something questionable Scan- going on and scandalous. Yeah. It, well. ma- it makes like it makes all the scandals that we've had recently seem a bit pale pale yeah. in comparison i mean <laughs> and we're talking like we could kind of talking on the lines of you know this you know what's going on now you know with weinstein and woody allen and all that kind of is almost nothing compared to what happened back then well, i'm not diminishing what happened to, to obviously weinstein the victims of harvey weinstein and, and woody allen you know that this is a horrible horrible thing that they've done but like it just like the the the, the back then it was almost like it was every year something happened you know somebody yeah, died um, or somebody you know got hurt or overdosed or overdosed something like or that. something like that yeah it's yeah every time I, I hear about hollywood in that era there's always something gone on um yeah there was a lot of yeah um so yeah he we don't yeah it, was, it is believed that he committed suicide and at first uh, Louis B. Mayer wanted to replace her, thinking the scandal would affect box office receipts. But the outpouring of sympathy for the widowed Harlow made him change his mind, of course, because he saw dollar sign. He then wanted to capitalize uh, on it and rushed Victor Fleming to finish the film on time, which he did. Um, the film was a great box office success. Uh, apparently, it was partially responsible for MGM being the only studio which turned a profit in the very, very deep depression of 1932. Um, I think 1932 was considered the worst depression year. Um, so, yeah. I've just... Carlo, I... Yeah, sorry. I just, yeah. I've just... You know, say... I've just Googled that story, uh, you know, the, the, the suicide and stuff. Um, so apparently there's a quote where a 2009 biography of Byrne um, asserted that Byrne was in fact murdered by a former lover and the crime scene was rearranged by MGM executives to make it appear wow. Byrne had killed himself. Wow. I mean, that's... I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, the quote I, mean, the quote I have found, I mean, the quote, to be fair, is on Wikipedia and Wikipedia is a thing, but they, it does, it's not like it's a quote where it's not attached to anything. It is attached to a book. There, It is a reference from a book. So I'm sure if you were to find that book and, and look up the reference, like that quote is well, in there so yeah that's uh i you know what i wouldn't put it past them because they've done much much worse in the past and we've all, i mean we've all seen hail caesar so yeah i mean they yes done... exactly that's exactly i was thinking of of uh, josh Brolin's character yeah who is based on uh on a real person i think his name is eddie mannix yes um and he was the fixer opera yeah he was the the guy who just fixed everything so yeah if you haven't seen hail caesar watch hail caesar i'm saying that to the audience i know you have i'm just saying that to the general <laughs> audience if you've not seen hail caesar watch hail caesar um but yeah what did it what did it were so simple what if it were so simple yeah. Can we just spend the next? Can we just spend the next hour of this podcast? Just what did it were so simple? What did it were so simple? 
Just, just repeating that line for 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 an hour. I think our listeners, um, I think our listeners would tune off quite quickly. But I, I, I know, yeah, I know, me no. and you would have a lot of fun. <laughs> um, moving on from that brilliant, brilliant scene, which is probably the only scene that I really liked in the whole film because Ray Fiennes is in it. Um, I just wanted to say a few things about Harlow. I think she's just like you said, she's just magnetic. She's just brilliant in this. This is probably my second favorite. Part of film. Um, I think I like Dinner at Eight slightly more because John Barrymore is in it, and I love John Barrymore. Uh, but I think Red Dust belongs to her hands down. She just owns every scene she's in, and like you said, I think we should have had more scenes of hers. Uh, like all the scenes should have been hers. Um, Clark Gable, she. I, like I said, he exudes machismo from every pore. He's like the lord, lord of the manor. And like the lord of the manor, he feels like medieval lord of the manor. manor uh, feels entitled to sleep with the wife of, of the employee. Um, it is, yeah, he's quite a despicable, despicable character. And when he finally do, does the right thing, he gets a, sh- uh, a bullet in, in the guts or whatever, in the side, wherever she... Got it. A bit late, really, uh, in my so... opinion. A bit late in the film. Yeah. <laughs> he should have been shot at least half an hour before that. <laughs> um. Yeah, like you said, Mary Astor, I think she's at her most beautiful in this film. I've, I mean, I'm used to seeing her like, in, in the Maltese Falcon. I think she was she was beautiful there, but I don't think she's she's as beautiful um, as in this one. No, so her character then... in Maltese Falcon was... A lot more obviously like she was the the femme fatale if i remember rightly um so obviously like she had a particular kind of look about her that kind of had to fulfill that femme fatale look um so it was kind of weird to kind of see her against that where like i said you know she's a lot more delicate and conflicted and and like out of her depth whereas in in maltese falcon she's out of her depth but she's allowing she's that's what's the word um she's managing that situation she's making it seem as though she's out of her depth where in actual fact you know she's the one doing the um that's my analysis of of maltese falcon um so yeah um most people would i mean would remember also that she's done lots of like matronly motherly roles in the late 1940s at MGM, um, I think she did Little Women and Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, so I think her star faded a bit too quickly uh, after the Maltese Falcon. I don't think she had any more leading lady roles, unfortunately. Um, but I like I think she really pulled off the sexy woman, both on screen and off. Um, Karina Longworth of, of the podcast, you must remember remember this has an entire episode dedicated on Mary Astor and her scandalous diary, which was found by her husband and used in a lawsuit for custody of her child. And the um, the scandal, the diary, um, it detailed torrid affairs with other men, including uh, playwright George S. Hoffman. And I think there was a scene of, of groping in the, in the film theatre or, or theatre theatre, um, which it was quite naughty. 
We are back um, on the yeah, scandal, aren't we? We are back on. Yeah, the we scandal. are back on the scandal. We mentioned a different. We mentioned a different actress, and yet there is a scandal to go with it. Um, there is a yeah. scandal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think give give that podcast a go. We'll just put that in the, in the show notes. Uh, it's just, um, it's a really really um good po- podcast about the history of Hollywood, and I think it dedicates a whole um season to um debunking myths that were written in um hollywood babylon that um book by who is it that wrote that book Ke- uh, kenneth, Ang- kenneth anger kenneth anger yeah so uh i think karina longworth takes a lot of time and effort to research all the all the stories written in that book and and sort of take them apart one by one uh so yeah give it a, give it a listen um, but yeah, I just I really like Red Dust. In terms of the pre-code, I think it's just it's just really show shows shows strong women who know their mind and aren't afraid to to save the day. Because basically, that's I think that's what Jean Harlow's character does at the end. Because she's the one who manages the situation when it could have gone really really bad for everybody involved. Um, it shows adultery and it shows people getting away with adultery which you would not see after 1934 because of the Hayes Code um, in, in, after 1934 um, Mary Astor's character would have been probably shot dead along with Clara Gable's character at the end and also Fantine plays a prostitute um, with a heart of gold um, which I think is like one of the first ones of, of, the, of the genre um, I think Hollywood really like, likes prostitutes with heart of gold. Like even today, we have Julia Roberts and Pretty Women and and other um, girls like streetwalkers that are in, in in the end they end up being the the hero of the day. I have I have another so, example that isn't the obvious one. <laughs> um, Tangerine, uh, directed by. Um... Oh my god, I've forgotten his name. Uh, I think his name's Sean. Oh my god, I forgot. I don't think his I've name. seen that one. Uh, it was shot completely on an iPhone. Um, Tandridge. Oh, Sean... nice. Sean... Is it a new one? Sean Baker, two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, it's about two oh, cool. trans transgender sex workers. Um, one of whom discovers her boyfriend and pimp have been cheating on her. Um, and it was shot Ooh. on three iPhone five S's. Um, nice. And it is a phenomenal film. And they're played by tran- transgender actors oh. as well, so actress, oh yeah, actors. So that's very um, good. Yeah. So to go with the the prostitutes with a heart of gold. I like, think we've come a long. I think we've come a long way. Yes, I mean in in portraying in portraying sex workers with with a with a heart of gold. Um, it's it's a pity that this sort of evolution was kind of stopped in its tracks when when the Hays Code got enforced because you could have seen like the Red Dress is a prime example that girls sex work workers would would have managed to to like get the guy at the end even though the guy is a, is a, is a massive massive douchebag I'm, I'm, um, i mean i'm not I'm, but she likes him and that's what matters i'm right in thinking it's not just like sex workers in general it, it is also like women who show sexual agency that kind of was stifled yes so yes yeah. yes so yeah she had yeah she had lots i mean she was actively pursuing Clark Gable and she gets him in the end so way way to go way to go Jean I think Harlow. yeah it's a shame way to go Jean Harlow I mean who wouldn't yeah uh, I just wanted to, to, to do I, I just wanted to cite two quotes that I really like from the film 
before um showing that it, it how pre-code it is um at, at the beginning when you 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 signed you talked about the scene where she she's in the bed and she wakes up and with the drunker man and she's trying to get him out of her, her room and then she goes into the main room where the guys are drinking and what eating and she's like don't mind me boys i'm just restless i guess i'm not used to sleeping nights anyway it's <laughs> <laughs> just so good and when um right after the first um time that gable kisses mary astor and mary i mean harlow finds out straight away because clark gable comes out with lipstick on his face and he t she she and uh, mary astor talk a bit about it and then mary astor doesn't really know how to explain herself and it's she thinks it's just a moment but then harlow tells her watch out for the next moment it's, it's longer than the first um and she is right because they end up having an affair for like a month or so um so yeah i i just yeah i really like this film and it it portrays i mean it the rice racist sort of stereotyping aside i think it it shows um like you said female agency throughout and i think it's 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 really one of the best pre-codes there is and i think that's all my notes yeah this film. so i mean like we go from forbidden love in one sense where i wasn't sold i i didn't i wasn't caught up in it to and the romance stuff i i yeah to some a film which i consider to be one of the most romantic films ever made and to be a, a complete masterpiece um one car wise in the mood for love which came out in the year 2000 uh, which is crazy to think about it's only 20 years old um so yeah uh this is obviously your first time viewing and i'm unsure if this is your first one kai wai film um but what i think so what did you think of in the mood for love um are you going to give the synopsis oh yeah that would be a good idea wouldn't it sorry um yeah so i'll grab a synopsis from the move for love um taking place in hong kong of 1962 a melancholy story about the love between a woman and a man who live in the same building and one day find out that their husband and wife had an affair with each other um starring tony leung and maggie chung uh, among others um but these two are the central stars and characters of the film um so yeah danny what did you yeah, think yeah uh, i i really liked it i really liked it i mean i don't think i don't think it's i think it's very hard to dislike this film even though it's it's very slow paced but i i really like that about it because it's very romantic um i've wanted to see this film for a long time because it it pops up in like best films of of the decades of the like noughties and and onwards so it's one of the best romantic films and i it's just it's just very yeah it's very romantic i i liked it i liked the chemistry between between the two um i like the the pacing the direction the um cinematography love the music especially those songs that uh you hear played by Nat King Cole um i i i liked how it captures the, the thrill of a love story with that with just the, the closeness but without the sexual intimacy it's a love story where i mean they both enter but they're very like damaged they're hurt and betrayed but they do not want to continue the vicious circle by betraying 
themselves because I think that's all that's all that, that's about and they just respect one another and they just have a lot of things in common and if it had if they had just probably met the first time round they would have just had a most amazing relationship um yeah I just I love I like the way he looks at her it just it, it it's so romantic and you just you see him how much he just wants to be with her no matter what in any other circ in any circumstance whatsoever if he, if she tells him just stay with me in the rain or you know, if she tells him run away with me he would just jump into it you just you see him looking at her and i like the fact that they weren't the, the spouses the cheating spouses were never shown like in they were only shown from from the from the back they weren't you don't see their faces, you only see the backs of them once or twice. So, yeah, um, it's a great film. Um, I don't know how you feel, but I have a, quick, a small theory that, you know, when towards the end when she runs into his apartment in Singapore? Yeah. Um, when you see her bending over to pick the slipper, the pink slippers, yeah. but you don't actually see her picking them up. I have a theory that she just decides to stay the night. And then when you see her later with the kid, the kid is his. That's my romantic dream of it. It might not ha have happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I. But that, yeah, yeah. that's just what I want to. I want to. I want to believe that at one point they just got to the part where they just, you know, made love. Yeah. To have that one memory. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a sad. It's a heartbreaking film. It does not end well. Yeah. Um. You know, the, the film has these captions that pop up um, uh, at the start and then there's one at the beginning. And, you know, the, yeah. the, you have one that says, um, uh, he remembers those vanished years as though as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch. And everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. And then another one is reads, um, that era has passed. Nothing that belonged to it exists anymore. Um, and I, I think it perfectly captures that feeling of being in love and the feeling you kind of have afterwards, like years later, because yeah. you have those scenes, you know, have that scene in Cambodia at the end and yeah. it talks yeah, about yeah. putting the thing in the, in the wall and it's like a memory kind of thing. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. And he just covers it with moss and it's just very, very sad. Yeah. Um, I like the chemistry between them and I, you know my Maggie Chung is beautiful and he's gorgeous too uh and I I loved the way he looks at her it was just one of those things that you just see him sort of just want to lives by every word she says just very romantic With with Maggie Chung do you have a, a favorite of her dresses of her many dresses Oh because the, these are, so are many of them. these are exquisite I like dresses. The, I like the darker ones. There, I think there's. I think I read there were forty eight of them. Oh, um, <laughs> as someone who's not into I, I women's like... fashion or like you know like any oh. kind of fashion in any way, like I'm the least fashionable person ever. I was. I like the I like the, the darker darker ones. I like the dark ones best. Yeah. I read I read that there's a the film was kind of loosely based on a story of of two characters find just passing each other by on the staircase but never saying anything to one another yes and then yeah. at the end they both 
commit suicide in 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 um, the short story that the film is based on. Uh, obviously, this doesn't happen in the film, but at the same time, you don't see them end up together either. Yeah, so it's kind of yeah. So the like the film itself, um, to do kind of like a behind the scenes thing, um, is kind of like the second in like a loose. I don't want to say trilogy because it's not a trilogy. It's not like the Before Sunrise trilogy or the Before trilogy with Ethan Hunt and Judy Delpy. It's more like um, it's like a loose connection between the films. So you said Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Did I say Ethan Hunt? Oh yeah, Ethan Hunt is Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like that's not that's a character, that's not a person. <laughs> I would totally watch Ethan Hunt in Judy Delpy in a Before Sunrise film. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah, sorry, derail that a minute. Um, we've got to leave that in there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this this film is like the second in a loose. I want to say kind of triptych. It kind of is kind of fits better um in a film a series of films uh one being days of wild uh days of being wild then in the mood for love and then this uh the sequel which is kind of like a loose sequel 2046 which actually continues the story of tony leung's character in in the mood for love so if you actually want to see what happens to him after he you know he ends up going to singapore is it really sad? 2046 is the film to watch um i ha i've i i i haven't seen it i i started watching it for this podcast and i i was it was late at night and i ended up falling asleep and i really want to try again with it um but it kind of tells the story of more about his love affairs um after you know maggie chung um and one of the characters he ends up kind of being with um is in days of being wild is one of the characters in Days of Being Wild, which is the connection there. Um, and apparently Wong Kar Wai's next film, which is a film called Blossoms, is, from what I've read, going to be the fourth film in this series, um, if you want to call it that. Um, I don't think that, I don't think it is a series. I just think it's just a loose connection of stories kind of put together. It's kind of how Wong Kar Wai's films are. They're all about connection and human connection. Um even this film about uh, if man the grandmaster is about human connection so um yeah i so yeah i mean i i you you were what did you think visually about because one car wise films are very much known for their visually unique uh stylized look what did you think of the look in this yeah i really liked it like i said i like i like the color palette and i liked the um quite poetic romantic lighting um it was yeah very well cinematography so, i liked the meetings of the two in the rain i just yeah it was very good yeah very well done and in the in the red hotel yeah i mean the 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 cinematography itself is uh done by longtime collaborator christopher doyle um and the film kind of went over schedule so doyle and doyle had to move on to another project and a cinematographer by the name of Mark Lee Ping Bing, um, who is a long-time collaborator with Taiwanese filmmaker Hui, Hui uh, I need to say this right, Hui Sao Sen, um, kind of took what, you know, both of them kind of took what Wong Kar Wai has done in the past um, and kind of made it a much more controlled fluidity. Um, so rather than you get the pop aesthetic of that of like Chungking Express, for example, which we will be watching on this podcast 
um that's a very it's a very there's a very kinetic energy in that film you do get hints of that kinetic energy coming through in certain shots but you wouldn't recognize it if you hadn't seen chunking express um it's a very distinct style that comes through for christopher doyle's cinematography um but you said you wouldn't have recognized it if you had you know you wouldn't recognize it for what it is and then you also get the long shots because there, there are shots in this which are kind of long held long for quite a long time um but it's almost subtly yeah. done you kind of don't notice it and that's kind of what lee is known for um so it's a really good like marrying of the two styles um so yeah i mean I don't, I don't really where to start like it is this film for me is a masterpiece of two people that are wronged and end up connecting after trying to come to terms with their you know the actions of their their respective spouses um you know like you said like you said you know we never see the spouses at all we don't see them commit adultery um we just see the impact on them and you know it it's kind of like there's a sense of lost connection between the two you know there's a longing there you know maybe like in a different era they would be together because of you know there's a conversation that uh sue uh, maggie chung's character has with uh her landlady who's like you know you need to not you know don't let your husband go away for so long you know like you need to kind of keep him in the house as much as possible um you know that's very much the attitudes at the time in the 1960s um, which kind of makes me think that, you know, in a different era, these two would be together, which is kind of where, um, from what I've seen of, of 2046, is kind of what it does. It takes Tuli Young's character and kind of explores more into his relationships. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't, like you mentioned, the um, that corridor scene with the rain is kind of, it's, there's, it's on YouTube, it's kind of referred to as the corridor glance scene so here sue goes downstairs to get noodles in a portable container this film by the way makes food eating food the sexiest thing one of, I, yeah, I don't it's all about eating it's all about eating yeah it's not just like this everything every almost every scene has eating in it yeah it's not just this film almost. that does it it's also um like there's quite a lot of asian films that have this kind of erotic nature about eating food there's a, the, a japanese film called tampopo which if you haven't seen, we'll, we'll try and fit it in somewhere. But that film is about food and like the relationship with food and like this erotic nature about it. Um, Have you seen I Am Love? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the noodles in this film are, are, look amazing and the dumplings. I mean, there's a, there's a bit where he's eating dumplings and I, I can smell them. Um, That's how they look. And... So yeah, like she she goes downstairs to go and get these noodles in a portable container. Um, but the movement is in slow motion. The shot is in slow motion. You know, it is it's really exquisite looking to look at her walking in that dress that she's wearing with the music. Um, it kind of tells you that you need to be feeling something, but you feel it anyway. If that makes any sense. Um, and then we kind of get a static shot of her kind of waiting, and then she walks back up the stairs, um, followed by a still image of the lamp that is quite that is like this recurring thing recurring image um recurring place in their relationship and then uh chu uh chow uh mu wan uh tony Lung's character ends up walking down you know this is then repeated but they kind of but instead of it being just a misconnection they pass each other on the stairs 
um, you know, and then they glance at each other. And what I think is really interesting is that through the film, when they're in their relationship, they they become so preoccupied with later on about how their spouses actually met. But this is the moment we see them meet. You know, yeah, you know, they they meet, they know each other in the house, and you know, they kind of, you know, they know of each other. But this is the moment, as it were, and the slow motion kind of continues through the sequence, and it's it's so gorgeous, and it's so. <sighs> It, it, it's, it's, it's lovely to kind of admire and you know Tony Leung and Maggie Chung are, are two of the most gorgeous people to be on screen and here they are together um, you know his suits are timeless ageless you know he's like the coolest man to ever grace the screen in this film and you know it's almost as though you know that through years of Hollywood icons like you know Cagney, Bogart and Stewart have kind of just all led to this one moment of him sitting down in that red hotel in the red restaurant and the way the smoke lingers as he's smoking it just it's just the coolest thing i've ever seen and um yeah like they're both of them are just gorgeous to look at i, I don't know if you I, i'm hoping you got that what that they're beautiful and that the, the cinematography is beautiful and that yeah that that's the whole film that's yeah. what it's all about yeah um you know like you said you know her her look is you know exquisite her dresses are gorgeous at one point one of the characters turns and, and says that she goes down to noodles dressed like that you know who goes down to dress yeah. the noodles dressed like that um so i don't know whether this says something about a character I'm, I'm kind of trying to still work that out um i think she's she's very stylish the whole every time because you don't see her dress as anything else but in those dresses so you see her at work in those dresses and you see her dressed like you you don't see her wearing anything else but the same style of dresses different dresses but same same style we don't see i don't think i see we don't see other women of her age in uh, as well really do we you know we just see all no. the women that we do see are older and obviously they dress different um, yeah so yeah um i have a like a quote here so one car why being the funny man he is he likes to think of this film as a thriller believe it or not um he's come out on a number of occasions and said that you know this film is like a thriller like a hitchcockian thriller um saying that he's very much kind of influ influenced by vertigo whilst making the film and he also compares you could see that he also compares tony lung's character to that of james stewart in the film um so i have a quote here from the la weekly um from wong uh, which i'm going to link to in the show notes from in, in from 2001 so uh Wong Kar Wai says that um the role of Tony in the film reminds me of Jimmy Stewart's in Vertigo there is a dark side to this character I think it's very interesting that most of the audience prefers to think that this is a very innocent relationship these are the good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful and they refuse to be nobody sees any darkness in these characters and yet they are meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses and of having an affair I think this happens because the face of Tony Leung is so sympathetic. Just imagine if it was John Malkovich playing this role. You would think, this guy is really weird. It's the same in Vertigo. Everybody thinks James, James Stewart is a nice guy, so nobody thinks that his character is actually very sick. Um, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm just gonna say that I don't think anyone thinks that Jimmy Stewart's character in Vertigo is, is the nice guy. He is very, very sick indeed. And I just realized that, yeah, I think that's why that, that's why you see 
Tony Young's character stare at her and just eat her with his eyes so intensely every time they meet. Mm. You and it kind of puts it on in a different light and in a more obsessive light. But I don't know if if I would go as far as calling him a bit like stalky, obsessive. I mean, he does propose to her that they run away together, but he just he to me it just feels like he's quite heartbroken. Mm. Um, and I think judging by the end scene where he talks into the the hole and t- sort of keeps the secret there and just pads it with with moss. It just feels like yeah, he's he's quite tormented, but not as I don't think as as obsessive as manipulating as as Scotty is. But I think like I think Wong Kar Wai is right in saying that Tony Leung's face is quite sympathetic. I mean, yeah, in other films yeah. I've seen him in, um, I think he's in Infernal Affairs, if I remember rightly probably butchered that i think he's yeah he's a very obviously a very prolific hong kong um, Hong cantonese actor um he does have this kind of very i don't know sympathetic faces i don't know if that's the right word but he's not somebody you look at and think you know there's something you know there's some darkness underneath there like you know one car example of john malkovich where you know you look at john malkovich you know like, oh that's not right <laughs> as much as i love john malkovich you know like you know when he plays i don't know the villainous characters or even himself in being john malkovich um malkovich 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 um he you know he has this weirdness about him you know this kind of edge yeah whereas tony Lung doesn't have face. that he does have a good face he does have a really good face i'm just saying like there's an edgeness <laughs> and, a, and a, a weirdness about him like steve buscemi you know like Steve Buscemi mm. has, yes. you know, such an interesting presence and such an interesting face, and you know, like you don't look at Steve Buscemi and think, yeah, that guy's normal. <laughs> you know, um, not much. There's no. there's a reason why he plays the characters like he does. You know, like in Reservoir Dogs and dare I say, Con Air. Um, <laughs> you know, he plays these characters, um, and I think you know Tony Young, you know, doesn't have that weirdness about him, which is. I think is a strength of the film because like I think if you were to have an actor I'm trying to think of a a Cantonese actor that may bring a different edge to it but I can't think of one off the top of my head um so yeah I um kind of one last thing with the film you kind of touched on it but this film is consistently placed in great films lists so you know of the 2000s since 2000 um you know it it came in 24th in sight and sounds best films ever list in 2012 um in 2015 the busan international film festival ranked the film number three in its asian cinema 100 list um behind uh yazajiro zozu's tokyo story and akira kurosawa's rashomon um so you think of all these great asian films that didn't that uh, you know that this film have was you seen par- rashomon i have yes yeah and and Tokyo Story, um, and then in 2016, this film appeared second place on BBC's list of 100 greatest films of the 21st century, after Mulholland Drive, um, which I think is I think is right to kind of have those films together as like the two best films since 2000. Um, the, in 20, 2019, The Guardian ranked the film fifth in its best films of the 21st century list. 
Um, you know, when I say uh, this film came 24th in the Sight and Sound List in 2012, Mulholland Drive came like, you know, a few places after it. And they were the only, I think they were the only films in like the top 50 that were since like the most recent um, in the list, which is really, really interesting. Um, kind of what I want to get, because in my opinion, it, it totally deserves to be in that list. But I, I, I don't, I'm really curious to know whether you think it deserves the reputation it deserves now that you've seen it. Um, personally, um, I I've, don't. I'm know. sorry, I've kind of put you on the spot a little bit, but I, I'm really curious. Yeah, you have, but it's okay because that's why we're doing this. Um, I I liked it, but I don't think I liked it all all that much. I mean, it it is a heartbreaking romantic story, but it just I kind of wish there was some sort of climactic. Like it it just feels like they could have maybe got together at least once. Um. But I do, I do like it. I do like it a lot. I just don't know if I would put it right next to favorites like I don't know, There Will Be Blood, which is kind of like my favorite from the twenty first century, which I find slightly different. Um, I think my only qualms with it would be that I would, I would like to see some sort of like um, character progression, and I would like to see some. Yeah, I mean, you kind of notice that he's no longer with his wife by the end um but it doesn't actually tell you what's happened um if he's left her or if she's left him um but you, it, it is implied that she hasn't left her husband because she's got the kid which yeah. might or might not be his we don't know um, it is. I think. I think I need to watch it again to maybe appreciate it a bit more. But I do. I. I did really, really, really enjoyed it. It's very romantic. It's very poetic. So yeah, I think it deserves all the accolades it's getting. I th- I think visually, it's one of the visually most impressive films of the twenty first century. Absolutely. Um, uh, those 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 slow motion sequences with the music. Um, no, the music is great. It's... Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy you, you like this. And like I said, like I'm really hoping this isn't going to be our only one car Y film. I, I really do want to get Chunking Express on there because it's a, a similar film in a lot of ways about human connection. But visually, it's totally different. Um, it's kind of it's set in the modern day, for example, whereas this was set in 1962. Chunking Express is set in 1995. Um, it kind of, you know, we talk about how Gene Harlow in Red Dust was the first example of maybe the earliest example of the prostitute with the heart of gold. Um, Faye Wong's character in Chunking Express is probably the earliest example of the Manny Pixie, manic pixie dream girl that everybody mm. kind of that there is a really problematic thing with with Hollywood um, that that happened <laughs> through the last ten fifteen years. Um, so yeah, like. I, I'm really, I, I'm really happy you enjoyed this and and wasn't turned off by, by it. And um, why would I be turned off by? It? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, you know, this is our second foreign language film we've had, and the first foreign language we film had, we didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> um this was? is that was Tokyo You're Tribe. About Tokyo Story. I'm talking about Tokyo Tribe. Um, Tokyo um, Tribe. Tokyo um, Tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Well. 
the, yeah, the less said about that film, the better. We do, we do have another um, foreign language film coming up in the next couple. But of let me get that straight. Episodes. That's not. To, that's not because it's a foreign language film. Because I enjoy watching foreign language films. I, I wasn't. I wasn't implying that. Uh, I, I really didn't mean to imply that. I, was, yeah. I don't. I don't. I. I, I just want to clarify. Um, I enjoy watching foreign language films. Um, it was just that Tokyo Tribe was something that is not my genre. Oh. Yeah, Sion, Sion Sono was a bit of a mead one, I think, in hindsight. Um, but we, we got it out, done with and out of the way. So, yeah. Um, cool. That's us done with the movie for love. Cool. So, what have you got on for next week, Nick? So, next week, we're kind of mixing it up a little bit. So, whereas the general, you know, idea is that Danny picks a film from pre-1969 and i pick a film from 1970 above um we're switching it around so danny's picked a film from 2004 um troy um directed by wolfgang peterson starring i mean i'm just going to lead off this list because it is insane i've just looked at it and it is insane i I mean brad i mean brad all right i'm going to read this out Brad Pitt, Orlando Bloom, Eric Banner, Brian Cox, Sheen Bean, Brendan Gleeson, Diane Kruger, Peter O'Toole, Rose Byrne, Garrett Henland, Julie Christie. Um, yeah, that that I mean, I bleh, that's insane. Um, it is insane. Um, so and it, what, what's more insane is that you haven't seen this film before. Yeah, I mean, this is I think the most insane thing that I've I've I was I the reason I I wanted us to talk about it was that I. I was very surprised that you haven't seen this film, which is a blockbuster, explosive cinema. Well, not explosive because it's it's 1200 BC. Uh, but uh, it's one of my favorite sort of like summer blockbuster films that I went, I remember I went to see it in cinema and it's, it's the acting is quite hammy. I will talk about it next next week, but it's just, uh, it's, it's brilliant. I can't wait for you to see it. So yeah, because this film is uh, based on the Greek myth um i'm gonna say this very loosely <laughs> based on yes. the greek myth um the story written by homer uh the iliad um which i have read um i was a big greek mythology nerd when i was a kid um which makes this a mission all the more baffling um we are pairing this with um the classic uh Jason and the Argonauts, uh, 1963, directed by Don Chaff- uh, Don Chaffee, um, which everybody knows as being one of Harry How- Roy Ray Harryhausen's films. Uh, Ray Harryhausen being a very famous special effects artist, um, influenced Del Toro, Peter Jackson, James Cameron, like all the special effects guys that are around today that everybody knows and loves. They owe a massive debt to Ray Harryhausen. Um, and his films um i probably would have gone with clash of the titans which came out in 1980 something uh, it was in the 80s starring harry hamlin uh 1981 that came out but uh, it's a bit too recent and plus jason the argonauts i think is a better film than clash of the titans um in my opinion um so yeah no it's uh, it's going to be an interesting week next week um going down the greek mythology route i have no idea where the discussion is going to end up um whereas like before like the last few episodes we've kind of have a vague idea about where this, the discussion is going to go 
um, because these two films are very much centered around historical events, well, I wouldn't say historical, mythological events. Um, I don't know where how this 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 one's going to end up, so I'm really excited. Um, cool. So, uh, Danny, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan, and uh, my website is kinojoan.co.uk. Do you have anything to plug? Any, any we art? have our, our Twitter account, Kinotomic. Please give us a follow. Um, thank you very much yeah. for listening. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler and on my website, supertomovision.com. I have my YouTube channel again, uh, YouTube channel, um, supertomovision, um, which is on YouTube. So yeah, and we have our Gmail account, kinotomic at gmail.com. Please drop us an email. Um, tell us how we're doing just a reassurance you know make sure you're all okay <laughs> um, so yeah uh, so it's a thank you from me thanks for listening I'll see you next week bye